Welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories. This episode brought to you by PSP Academy for your CPAT training. Follow us on social media, our Instagram and Facebook page at trainwithpsp.com. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, Paul Cialino for being on the show. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. You're welcome, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those of you who d- don't realize, we've already had a trip across the street to the bar, and Paul was kind enough to bring in this tequila straight from Mexico. I believe uh, Jim Stedman called it jaw lubricant. <laughs> yeah. So we'll Jim, go for Jim there. was right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're kind of going to we we're going to kind of jump into this because we want to get into the book that Paul wrote called Dead in 6 Minutes. It's the uh basically the biography of Dr. Stanley Zidlow and for me reading the book it was very much for I've been a paramedic for a while and when I got halfway through the book it was very much like I had opened up the envelope of a 23 in me, seeing where I came from, seeing the things that I do, and opening up that envelope and realizing that I'm basically a child of Dr. Zidlow in doing the work that I do as a paramedic. So first of all, Paul, what made you decide to write this book? Well, interesting, Vince, because I'm, uh, I've written a number of textbooks on investigative subjects, mostly homicide, sexual assault, that sort of thing. But I never wrote a biography. So here, here's the deal. Writing a biography is, is not fun. It's very difficult. You're writing about somebody's life, right? And uh, now you're writing about a legend's life, which is even far more complicated than just writing like about me or you or so, you know, something like that. I met Stan Zidlow probably 1992 in his emergency room. Saved my life. Uh, I had antiphlactic shock. I coded twice in an ambulance. Actually, two Arlington Heights uh, paramedics saved my Did life. Did you know you had an allergy? No, no, man. Uh, it was from a muscle relaxer. Oh, okay. And uh, I have chronic bad back for many, many years. I'd play golf, take a muscle relaxer, take, take, take the edge off, right? It didn't help, but it would make me be able to function. Took it Easter Sunday morning. Boom. Started itching, scratching. My then wife goes... Eh, there's probably some soap in your robe or something. Why don't you go take a shower? <laughs> I go in the bathroom and I look in the mirror. My eyes are blood red. My hands are swelling up. And I'm like, I'm not in any discomfort or pain, but I'm like, something's not right. This, this is bad. I, I don't know what's wrong. So I walk out there, got a pair of sweats. I said, hey, I'm going to pull the car out of the garage. Take me to the ER because there's something drastically wrong going on here. And she looks at me and goes, oh, okay. Uh, I pull the car out of the garage. By the time I pull the car out of the garage, I knew I was in big trouble because I was losing my vision, and I, I get myself into the passenger seat, and I said to her, give me to the hospital right now. Still not in discomfort. So uh, we drive about three blocks. We're living in Arlington Heights at the time. We get to a red light, and there's a police officer in front of us. I said, tell that cop to escort us, because I'm in trouble right now. And what it feels like is uh, light switch being turned off slowly, and and it's getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I'm not in any discomfort still. Wow. The cop walks back to the car and looks at me and goes, I'm calling the ambulance. Don't go nowhere. So these two paramedics show up Easter Sunday morning. I get a break because that morning one of the church's uh, furnaces took a crap, and about 30 people got poisoned from carbon monoxide. All the paramedics are there except these two guys. They show up. It took them 40 minutes to stabilize me. I kept coding. And I could hear everything going on. So you actually went into an arrest from your Twice. No shit. Twice. Right? And I could feel – the last thing I – consciously remember really is them grabbing me and pulling me out of the car. I, I couldn't move. Actually, right. That was great. And the lights are being turned off, but I could hear. Right. And they got me in the back of the ambulance and I'm, I'm laying there and they're, I could feel I'm being tussled, but I can't really feel what they're doing. And, and they're on the phone with this doctor and uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes into it, this doctor screaming. And he says, if you don't get an IV started, He's a dead man, and he's, he's dropping the F-bomb, and I'm like, this dude is nuts, right? So, And, and what year is this again, Paul? About 92. 92. So I get to the hospital, and uh, this guy meets me in the parking lot, jumps on top of me. I was doing CPR on me. My, and I'm, I can hear it all. I'm not, at this point, I can't see anything. And my wife walks in there with me, and the doctor says to her, does he have kids? She goes, yeah. He said, you better go get him because I don't think he's going to make it. So I, he, he pumps here. 12 liters of IV into me. He works on me for like 
10 hours in the ER. And next thing I know, I come to in the uh, ICU. It's about 6 o'clock the next morning, right? And I'm laying there, and I wake up, and I look at her. I know I'm in the ICU because I've, I've been up there in that hospital, Northwest Community Hospital, Arlington Heights. And there's a little dude sitting next to me in a white jacket, bald, and he's writing in the uh, light from the hallway. And I go, hey, Doc, how you doing? I don't know who he is. I, I know he's a doctor. And he goes, F me, you fat bastard. You almost wrecked my emergency room. You're lucky I was working. You'd be a dead man if I wasn't on. <laughs> That's my introduction to Stan Zidlow, right? So this this is a great story, actually. I like it. So I get discharged about three days later. One of my guys that worked for me come to pick me up. I'm standing outside the hospital smoking a cigarette. And he walks out. And he just gives me this look. And I, like, drop the cigarette. And he goes, hey, fatty. I didn't work on your ass for 12 hours so you could kill yourself with lung cancer. You want so This is my introduction to Dr. Stanley Zidlow. So I go back to my office. A few days later, I write the fire chief, a guy named Bruce Roadwall, letter, and his paramedics, and, I'm, and Zidlow. And I write Zidlow like, hey, uh, here's my promise to you. you. You or your family, anybody ever needs anything, please call me. I'm in debt to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I never hear a word from anybody, right? Uh, fast forward about six months, I had a big I had an office downtown at uh, uh, Jackson and Adams. I used to have a big party every Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah, big drunken brawl, let's call it what it was. <laughs> so I invited the doctor months before or weeks before, and the night of the party, I got a call. Hey, there's a woman on the phone from uh, 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 the hospital. I think it, I, I'm sure we paid that bill. Right. I take Probably. her call. She goes, hi, I'm Dr. Zidlow's secretary. You just got your invitation. He wants directions to your office. Oh, Okay. Great. I'm like, who's Dr. Sidlow? <laughs> I, I, I forgot. I'm right. totally drawing a play. Yeah. So he shows up. Dude, that was like 15 beers ago that I had a cardiac arrest. Yes. I mean, I, I don't yes. And, and so he shows up, and I'm like, hey, I'm, did you ever get my letter? He goes, I got it today. He goes, greatest goddamn letter I ever got in my life. No one ever wrote me a letter like that before. I said, I wrote it six months ago. He goes, Oh, the mail screwed up at the hospital. What do you want me to do? I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> so we become friends. We He lives in Inverness. I live in Arlington Heights. We become close, personal family friends, our families, our kids. Oh. And that's how I meet Zidlow. And Zidlow has never says a word to me about his background. I know him as this, the chief of the ER. At, right. at, Doc who saved your life. Yeah. Good dude, right? Yeah. City kid, hardcore, tough guy. Well, before we before we get to that... Let's let's dive into you for a little bit. Um, yeah, so acclaimed sure, author. Sure, you want to do that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, yeah I mean, let's, this, let's cover that. Right. Every, everyone. I mean, just a lot of respect and and uh, I mean, I, I can't believe we got you here, Paul. Thank you very I much. I can't believe it either. Uh, but it's the booze. And... You take a swig. Uh, <laughs> we uh, probably our first acclaimed author. Um, our yeah, first, no, our first radio personality. Our first radio personality. A lot of firsts right here, and um, I mean. Paul, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up? Grew up on the south side, eventually moved to Burbank. Uh, so we go there and uh, bounce back and forth to the city for the rest of my life. But um, I grew up in Burbank, which is on the edge of Chicago. And everybody that grew up in Burbank didn't know they didn't live in Chicago. Rough cut area, tough guys, gangsters, outlaws. I, probably 10 people I graduated high school with or went to high school in my year wound up in Stateville or Joliet. Where'd you go to high school? Revis. Okay. Revis High School. Hmm. Went in the Army when I was 17. Uh, seven years in the Army. I was a infantry. Then I was a military police. Uh, I should have paid them for all the fun I had. <laughs> I joined the Army in 1974 because I wanted to go to Vietnam. Army, seven years. I got married when I was in high school. What What brought you into the service? Uh, I, listen, I, I come from a family of soldiers and uh, veterans. From the time I was a little kid... I didn't want to do anything else. But everybody, and I had an uncle that won the Silver Star in Korea, should have got the Congressional Medal of Honor. Um, uh, I, I grew up around these people who were not patriotic as, as we would, you know. They, they would not be on Fox News today talking about their service records, okay? They just did it. Right. My mother was a soldier. My father was a World War II soldier, uh, a reluctant World War II soldier who uh, got one of eight, youngest of eight, on the south side at 26 and Wentworth, my dad, every all eight were born in the bedroom of that house because nobody had money for doctors. Um, first generation Italians and uh, hated the military with a purple passion, got drafted, was the only one in the family that, that served and never really talked about it. 
come home with a lot of medals and stuff and uh, never look back. That's, you know, the strong silence I, was the greatest generation in the world, no doubt about it. Those, those men, I mean, were men. And so that was my influence growing up. Plus, I was, it was too stupid to go to college. Frankly, I had no interest in it. I, let me tell you, no teacher said, hey, uh, ACTs or SATs are next week to me. <laughs> they usually said, hey, uh, your parole officer was here looking for you last right. week, or right. uh, okay. Detective so-and-so's uh, trying to run you down. You got okay. Saturday detention. So, uh, <laughs> detention. I, I was the king of detention. I never went, so they kept giving me more. What are they going to do to me, right? Nothing. So I joined the Army, and it saved my life, frankly. Guys, so uh, how did we get from there to you being on television and radio? How, well, how how was that? Jesus? Other than being charming, good looking, smart, uh, you know, worldly sort of bastard, I, I am. I was actually just going to uh, r- a lot of luck. Uh, did you have that highlighted, Corey? I did. I oh, like right. right uh, Corey's got a lot of orange <laughs> on his stuff. It's a yeah. piece of oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I I start early in my investigative career. I had a very high-profile case. A woman on the south side of Chicago was accused of uh, molesting a number of children in her daycare center. It was total BS. Never happened. Promoted it, indicted her, and tried to put her in prison for 20 years. And I went to work for her. I, I had left uh, Children and Family Services where I ran the child homicide unit and the mass molestation unit, and I got a call from a private attorney. And I looked at this case and thought, well, as good a time as any to leave. And I went to work for her defense attorney. So I wound up firing, getting her other lawyers throughout the case. But uh, she was found not guilty of all counts. And it was a very high-profile case uh, dealing with the media where I'm, I'm just trying to get her story out because this is critical that people know she didn't do this. Right. And you knew she was innocent right from uh, the uh, w- Without question. C- couldn't have happened. And it was all BS made up by the state. And... So I, I started, it was a big high profile case and, and I don't, I never mentioned her name publicly uh, because I, I don't want anyone to be bothering her grandchildren at this point. And I'm still very close with her and her husband. Uh, she used to babysit my kids as I worked for her. Um, her husband's one of my dearest friends to this day. Uh, I gave the uh, speech at their 50th wedding anniversary. I, I, she's a dear friend. And so I don't mention her name, but anyone who was around Chicago in the mid eighties knows the story. But that kind of got you. This got a me little semi-famous with media right. people. Yeah. As a straight shooter and a guy that doesn't BS. So I got a guilty client. I'm not going to talk to you about it. My client's innocent. I'll talk to you whenever you talk to me. I'll talk to you in the car. I'll talk to you when you're sitting on the shitter. I don't care. I, I want the story to get out because people understand when they get in trouble and they're indicted and they're innocent, they better get their story out because the government is out there standing in front of the flag and waving and talking about what a scumbag scoundrel you are. That led me to some national stuff. That led me to work for 48 hours in CBS News, which really... But before that, I was like a talking head on Fox all the time, or CBS, or NBC, or... Kind of like an expert witness on certain... Yeah, they're calling me for any time anyone got shot, but what people don't know is you don't get paid for that stuff, so it's a big pain in the ass. You got to go down to the studio, you got to put on a tie, you got to look good, and what I love, I I do Greta Van Susteren's show uh, for uh, when she was on CNN and then Fox eventually, and they got eight other idiots on there talking and yelling over you. It's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So finally, I got paid for doing that sort of thing. And when they pay you, they're much more respectful and nicer to you, right? And this was after some time in child. Oh yeah, this services. is this is going on years and years, right? right. And so I, I went to work for forty eight hours in CBS News. Uh, greatest experience of my life. So, I got paid a lot of money. There was no pressure, nobody going to prison. So I give where, my opinion. Where were you in your career when you decided to write this book? Or um, Well, my, my career was well-established at that point. Okay. And, so uh, you had already had some notoriety. I had a already, lot of notoriety, but okay. both good and bad. So it, this is more a passion project for you. This than was anything. a passion project, and I'm going to tell you why. I, I used to always tell Stan once I learned his story mm-hmm. uh, of creating, creating the paramedic system from the ground up, the first one ever anywhere in the world, Okay. I, I used to say to Stan all the time, Stan, write write a book. This this is a story that needs to be told. If nothing else, for a historical perspective, for for paramedics and EMTs, and this is critical stuff to your history. This is your, yeah. Well, your, we're not we're not we're not taught the history. No, you're not. We're we're taught that we were formed from the Department of Transportation. Yeah, which that's is, us, that's our history. Yeah, it's horseshit that and we're then, taught in yeah. paramedics. And then you're yeah. now years later, we're still told. Well, this is a very young profession. It's a very young profession. They they keep repeating that over and over again. Well, well, at what point is it not going to be a very young well, profession? Well, I, I mean, right. if, if you think about 
the fact that prior to Dr. Zidlow's work, you, I mean, I, th- I think Jimmy O'Connell had alluded to this when he was on. If you were sick or you were injured, if you were in the house, you had to be brought out or you had to be taken by a family member. Right. They would not go in the house. Yes. Listen, prior to 1972, okay, in this country, in the world, if you got sick or you took a shit and you had a heart attack on the toilet, boy, your husband, wife, son-in-law, whoever, better be able to pile your ass in the car and drive in the emergency room. Then when you got there, you better pray there's a dude working who's not a dermatologist or an eye, ear, nose, and throat right. guy. You a had dentist. very little I chance heard a lot of survival. Of them, I heard a lot of them were dentists. Funeral directors. That's who the ambulance guys were. That's that's who picked right. up the bodies and scraped you off the highway. On right, a, on those a were the, those first Cadillacs that yes, came out. Yes. They were all funeral directors. Yeah. And there's a story about Chicago having Cadillac ambulances before there were paramedics, right? We had seven of them, I think. And uh, Commissioner Joyce put a guy in charge of the ambulance service who won the Congressional Medal of Honor as a Marine in Okinawa, right? A true badass war hero. And basically, there was no paramedics. There were no medics. They were just, he said, hey, if our guys die in Chicago, they're going to go out in style in a Cadillac station wagon, right? <laughs> there was, no, there was nothing going on. Yeah, that, that is a direct quote. And, and that, that was the extent of medical services in the city of Chicago at that time. So, so go ahead, Vince. Yeah, well, Dr. Zidlow, um, he grew up on the west side. Yes, he did. His father was an alderman, right? A, a, a convicted and jailed in the grandest tradition of alderman, yes. For corruption. Yes. Okay. Uh, for, I mean, for like, taking money for a fire. Like any stuff. Cinderella Chicago story. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I, he owned a tavern, owned a gin mill on the west side, yeah, and, I mean, and that's where business got conducted back right. in the day. Right. I mean, it, and so Dr. Zidlow is vested in this idea that he does, he has, he, at this point, he, he hasn't even got the concept of what's going on. So let's let's like let's go back to like he, he went to the military, correct? And there there's uh, some. Let's it, go back even further, okay? Because okay? this is yeah. a, this is an important part of the story. Zidlow grows up on the west side, rough cut, uh, broke ass family. His dad owns a tavern, but it's a gin mill as big as this room, right? And his mom doesn't work, raising the kids. Uh, Zidlow is the smartest guy in the school. Back when? Back in the 50s, early 50s, right? He's also the toughest guy in the school. He's a bantamweight who fights like an animal. Yeah. And this gets him in a lot of trouble and concerns his mother. Uh, Zidlow's dad, absentee father, never around. Stan never had much respect for the old man. Uh, His his interaction with him was, was never positive almost. Uh, Stan, Stan was known as like the, the neighborhood genius, but also neighborhood tough guy who'd fight at the drop of a hat. Well, fighting is what got his mother's attention because he got in a fight with a Hispanic kid one day, beat him up. Yeah, this is like when Stan is in seventh oh, grade. This great. is when he got stabbed, right? Yeah, he gets, kid comes to his house and stabs him in the leg. Stan wins the fight again. But the mother says... This that was is, kind of the final straw. This is not going to end well. This, we got to get him out of here. I got this smart boy. I don't know what to do with him. So he goes and talks to the local Polish grocer, right? And he says, hey, I got my kid out of here because he's a problem child too. So he goes off to Missouri, right? The military academy. To the military school there. Uh, and I, I got to look at the book to t- think of the name of it, but it was about a 12-hour bus ride at the time. Mexico, Missouri is where it's at. Uh, I think it's Missouri Military Academy. Not where you got the tequila. No, no. Well, I was in the real Mexico down there, okay? <laughs> South of the border. And so, this, so this he, is as he's approaching high school or? Freshman. Okay. Right? So it's a boarding school. But he 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 goes down there and the mother pulls together the money. And he he's down there in Mexico, Missouri. And he's picked up the day he gets there by a dude in a horse and wagon. Now, Zidlow's a city kid his whole life. Never seen a horse and wagon. He's like, are you effing kidding me? Right. Horse and wagon, but I'll tell you what, he loved every minute of it. And it was a very serious academic school, a lot of discipline, a lot of regimentation. And Zidlogo is like, man, this is this is my kind of place. And he excelled at it. And he becomes, you know, one of the star pupils at this school. Well, it seemed throughout the book that wherever he went, he always wound up impressing everybody a with rock star. how smart yeah. he actually was. He, it, and it, his leadership skills, yeah. uh, no matter where, wherever well, he went. 
no one had to teach them the leadership skills, but they refined them at the military academy, at the United States Air Force, at the college he went to, at, at Loyola Medical School, right? Stan, Stan was a sponge who took it all in no matter what it was. And so he, he goes to military academy, and he always knows he wants to be a doctor, right? Because back then, what? If you're a smart guy, two, there's two avenues as an American. You go to law school or you go to medical school. Right. We all know the smart guys go to medical school, the dummies go to law school, all right? Any doctor will tell you that. You're a lawyer because you're <laughs> dumber than I am, right? <laughs> Ask them. So I, I'm married to a woman who, who wants to be a doctor but is a lawyer, right? <laughs> they all want to be doctors, but they go, eh, I don't have them grades. Mm. I didn't do good, do good on the MEM stats or whatever they call them. <laughs> but Siddle did well on all these tests. and uh, So he winds up going to a college in Missouri, again, that is geared towards getting you into medical school. And well, they, they, they approached him, correct? Because he yeah. was thinking about Stanford. He wanted to go to a prestigious medical yes. school. Right. And when uh, Missouri approached him, he's like, really? I'm, I mean. Well, I here's what happened. Hard. He's in, he's in high school and he starts working for a guy, a doctor, a traveling doctor in the area who was the uncle of one of his classmates. And this guy's doing surgeries and all kinds of stuff and stands with him on the weekends. And the guy's got Stan in his surgical suites and stands like, man, I could absolutely do this stuff. And the guy that, goes, yeah, you can. Where was that? Was that in Indiana or something like that? Next, uh, Missouri. Was still in Missouri? Still in Missouri, right? Okay. So he, they go, listen, you want to be a doctor? You got to go to this college, this pre-med school. And he's like, he's thinking he's coming back to Chicago to go to right. you know, University of Chicago or Northwestern and chicks again and women. No, 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 no. He's still in Missouri, but Stan's a smart guy. And he goes, I want to go to medical school. This is where I got to go. So he winds up there. That doctor, uh, Dr. Zidlow said that he was the best doctor that he ever, ever met. Now this was the guy he eventually worked for his, his first private practice when he went to Indiana. That's the guy from Indiana. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And that's got a train stand. Okay. And, and you remember when Stan started out, there's no such thing as emergency room medicine. Didn't exist. Right. No specialty. Stan is one of the three original doctors who wrote up the test for emergency room medicine specialists, doctors. He, he's he's on wow. the ground floor. He, in fact, doesn't get board certified as an ER doc for several years because he wrote the test. And he said, well, it's, you can't take the test because you wrote it. Right. Right. You got to wait till we refine it again, and then you could take it. Right. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is where we go back. This is where other doctors moonlighted in the ER. Yeah, the ERs basically were uh, hospitals had no idea what to do with ERs. They knew they had to have one, and people got caught, and they broke their arm or leg, and they and they wanted to see a doctor. Right? This is the day anybody alive today has no idea what ER. There, there was no ER rooms to speak of. There were hospitals that had a place in the alley. Where you could go, like if you were really screwed up. Okay. Right. There was no such thing as a trauma center or stroke oh, no, center. No, no. Trauma. There was... The word trauma didn't even exist at right. that point, except maybe in medical books, right? right? right. But so, so back then, and we're talking 50s, 60s, early 70s, right? There's no such thing. Right. Doesn't exist until Zidlow shows up, right? Well, yeah. the, before we, we get too far, I, I want to make sure that we don't pass out pass up one of the things that I think was the most important part of this book. I keep drinking this tequila. I'm going to pass up. Well, please, please tell me. He, I had to duck out. Yeah. So it, you wrote in the book at one point, Dr. Zillow's back in Chicago. He's standing there. He has his scrubs on. He looks like a doctor. This is a critical And moment. a police officer on a three-wheeled motorcycle pulls up and says something like, hey, doc, we have a hot one over here. Hop Let's on. Go. And he hops on the back of this motorcycle. And this is December 2nd. Wait, hold on a second, Vince. <laughs> Is this the inception? This is well. You, you, <laughs> no, no, no. So Vince has is, a passion. I have a passion I, for the. I, I do have a passion. CFD bike team. But this is 1958, right? Yep. December second, December second, 1958. So keep that date in in mind as we're going with the rest of the story. Oh. So the doctor's like, we have a real hot one here. He puts them on the back of this motorcycle. The they cop, they drive to. Our Lady of Angels. And what's happening at Our Lady of Angels on December 2nd? One of the most historical and this is, fires this is being in the United States of America. The deadliest of- school fire in the United States of America. So, 90, Still, 92 children, day. three nuns, if I recall. And Dr. Zidlow standing there, and he's watching people being put into the back of police vans and being driven well, off. Well, listen. He should, Zidlow is a medical school student at Loyola. 
He's coming home from school, parking in front of his house in Westside with a three-wheel motorcycle cop. He's wearing his doctor jacket, right? Now, the cop don't know what's a little doctor schmockter, right? He goes, hey, doc, hop on. We got a bad one. Zidlow like, okay. He had no idea where he's going. And Runs it's December. And that's all he's wearing. That's it. Because uh, you wrote it. He was said he was freezing his ass off. Yep. And so Zidlow uh, shows up at the fire. And, fellas, anybody listening to this, the Holy Angel Fire is one of the biggest tragedies ever happened in this country, okay? 92 kids get barbecued that day. And, and by the way, the Catholic Church owes a lot. Uh, it, 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 the biggest problem is is lack of fire inspections, safety inspections. Uh, these kids get barbecued unnecessarily for the most part. Nuns die. Uh, but Zidlow's watching this, and he's watching kids basically being thrown out of second-story windows onto the sidewalk, hit, hitting it like five pounds of ham and dying. And Zidlow's job at that point is like telling people, oh, that guy's dead, that guy probably ain't going to make it, but let's get this guy to the hospital right and, now. And, he's, and, a, he's a medical school student, and right? And these are, these are children? These are 7th and 8th and graders. When you research the Our Lady of Angels fire, the whole neighborhood came out. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, people were bringing ladders out there. Their you know, own ladders the, from their the, own garages. Listen, the, the fire department had no idea. Number one, wrong address gets called in initially. Correct. Right? They go to the wrong side of the, the school and church. Uh, by the time they get there, the place is fully in blaze, smoke inhalation. One of the nuns said to the kids, uh, stay in your seats. We're going to pray our way out of it. Every kid in that classroom got killed. This is how tragic this was. Uh, Chicago was collectively hit in the head with a with a sledgehammer and and never recovered from this fire. And Zidlow, though, as a medical person, said, this is bullshit. I, I can't ever let this happen. I, I got to do something. This is crazy. This is before it, he's a doctor. Right. This is before he's a doctor. Before he knows what his specialty is going to be, what he's going to do for a living. Right. He's just like watching this. And, and and he has his battle of the bulge right here. He has his battle of the bulge moment, man. And he is like, this is unacceptable. This is crazy. Because there's no medical help. There are no paramedics, no EMTs. Uh, skin's falling off kids. They're hitting the sidewalk, they're dying of head injuries, et cetera. It is horror of horrors. And every Chicago fireman that worked that case had PTSD afterwards. Uh, some of them never recovered from it. It was that horrendous. And and that's saying something for Chicago firemen back in those days because they, they had seen it all. But yeah. no one ever seen anything like this, ever. And it left an impression beyond words on everybody there, especially – Zidlow, who was only doctor there, yeah, uh, only medical professional of any type, right. and and one of the most famous uh, fire scene photographs in the history yep. of the American Fire Service was taken that day. It's in the book, and, fellas. Oh yeah, and yes. we 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 put that up there uh, yeah. on the anniversary of the Our Lady Angels. Uh, by the way, there, there's a phenomenal website uh, uh, by put up by the survivors of the Our Ladies of Angel Fire, and they did a great job with it, documenting who was there, who died. Would happen, uh, it, it, amazing stuff. In fact, there's a, a, a young girl in the school named Cialino, no relative of mine. I learned that after I, I researched this whole subject. But but this this burn this this stung Stan. Stan was like, "This is BS, man. This this cannot happen again." Mm-hmm. And and that is really that day is the birth of the paramedic in the end. Right, you can really for... trace the birth of paramedicine back to that day. Yes, which it's, is something we've we've talked on this podcast in some form or fashion, pretty much in every podcast that we've done so far, that subject has come up. So here we are again talking about it with the birth of paramedicine that we don't even, at this point, we still don't know that it's coming yet. It's also the, not, it's, it's the birth of a lot of things, responses, uh, how the fire department responds, the fire prevention bureau. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff. A, A lot came out of the tragedy. So, Let's let's go to he gets he graduates med school right Loyola okay He's a Loyola graduate and is that when he goes to Indiana and starts goes in and now, now you remember he gets married in college and uh, he marries this uh, this girl and he has uh, four or five children with her and moves to Indiana <laughs> Stan, Stan who hated anything but you got four the or five bright kids, lights where else are you gonna move? right. <laughs> Winds up always in these country-ass places, right? right? And he's like, man, back in Indiana. But he meets this doctor there who he goes to work for, who Stan describes the most brilliant medical professional he ever met in his life. And this guy's doing 
neurosurgery, open heart surgery, appendicitis, broken legs, whatever. This is where Stan's getting his real hardcore training. And all out of a strip mall in Indiana. Bum F Indiana, <laughs> right? And I mean, they're country doctors, basically. There are mm-hmm. no medical specialties at this right. point. And, and this, when it became medical specialties, this doc said, Stan, I'm going to become a radiologist because I'm tired of working my ass off. <laughs> this is all yours. Right. That, that's what happens. He, he, he basically leaves. Yes. And was like, he, he says, Stan, it's take all it, yours. Take it, babe. I'm done. I'm done billing. I'm done. I'm yeah. getting paid by a hospital to be a radiologist. So the Stan, who's like the person was very, from all accounts in your book, uh, like just a really like in your face, like he wouldn't take no for an answer. Like basically like a really bulldog type of a guy. That yeah. Listen, Stan. You is, didn't mess with him. He's 5'9", 130 pounds soaking wet, right? He is a tough guy from the west side of Chicago, Golden Glove boxer. And he does not suffer fools, fellas, all right? Hmm. He does not. Stupid people did not work for him, whether they had a medical degree or a GED or not. And he, he's one of these guys who judged you instantly, knew whether you had it or didn't have it, and he didn't waste no time with you. He was done with you quick. And if he liked you and if he thought you had potential, he, he was your mentor well, for life. One of the things, and it's kind of out of sequence because you, you – you kind of start and then you, you, in the middle of the book, you kind of go into his military background. Right. And what I found interesting that when he went to the Air Force, he did top secret stuff. Right. He flew missions over the Soviet Union. Yeah. How does he make his way back to Chicago? Uh, there was an opening for an emergency room doctor at our, uh, Northwest Community Hospital in Arlington Heights. And it, by that point, it was run by a private agency, a private corporation, and they hired Stan to come and work in the emergency room. And Stan is like, yeah, I could do that job. That's easy peasy. Let me edit. And he shows up in Arlington Heights, close enough to Chicago for him. Right. And him uh, basically, in quick order, becomes the chief of emergency room medicine. And and this is where the paramedics come in, basically. There's a witch lady out in Iver, uh, Inverness, uh, next-door neighbor, 40-something-year-old guy, drops dead of a heart attack in his living room. Palatine police, uh, Fire Department shows up. They're all standing there looking at him. No, but nobody's trained. They just like waiting for. There's a, not even an EMT program at this point. There's nothing, man. There's no EMTs. There's it's, no paramedics. And all of the chiefs and all the fire department. These are the old school, the right. old guard Smoke eaters, fire departments. Babe, right. They don't. There is no EMS. It's all EMS. They don't even know what EMS is. They've never heard of the phrase. Okay, it, they're all old smoke eaters. We fight fires. We put out fires. They take cats out of trees. We don't do none of that medical garbage stuff, okay? That's not our job. We don't do that. Nobody does it. It's nobody's job. So anyways, this woman in Inverness uh, comes up to Northwest Community Hospital going, listen, this is crazy. People are dying in their homes. You guys don't do anything. And some, the head of a, a hospital says, listen, you need to talk to this guy named Stan Zidlow who's as pissed off as you are about nobody doing anything. And she goes and sees him, and Stan says, listen, I could train people to save lives. But, hey, nobody's paying me to do it. Nobody's interested in doing it. And it's against the law because— Well, prior to 1972, you had to be a doctor or a nurse in order to even touch a patient outside of the hospital. Boy, and boy. if you didn't, you could be charged and you could be arrested. And let me tell you something. The doctors and nurses love that. Okay? <laughs> they were very happy with that rule. So They wish they had that rule today. Well, uh, well, let me tell you, back in pre-1972, they they would try to get your ass prosecuted if you did anything medically to anyone outside of a hospital, all right? That's our bailiwick. Don't don't go over there. Don't yeah, touch were They were very protective <laughs> yes. of yes. owning that space. Well, the, and the, even the nursing industry to this day is very protective of everything. Yeah. I mean, we like I've talked to other people in um, different medical systems, different even different states, and, like, I mean, the— the notion of a medical system with different fire departments, you know, obviously the city has, has their own uh, medical system, but different, different suburban fire departments and different suburban hospitals have these medical systems. And to this day, there's generally not a paramedic EMS coordinator. Every time you look at a hospital EMS coordinator, look, look at the state, at the, the state, state level, too. at the state level, right? Yeah. You can't even apply for an, an 
Illinois Department of Public Health or any other state, I imagine, Department of Public Health EMS position unless you have a minimum of a nurse BSN, which is, again, not not their area of uh, speciality. You let them talk like this uninterrupted all the time? Because I, all the time. I'm, I'm the star of this show. Okay? It is like it, a right. minute of yeah. and, and let me tell you, he's got the voice, right? He's got the pipes. I mean, I'm yeah. listening to him going, I don't know when to listen to my ass <laughs> after <laughs> that, right? Well, he starts talking and I get he, all he's hypnotized. He's like a professional, man. Like, yeah. and, and, and it sucks just, me in. You would, expect yeah. Yeah. you would expect for him to be a beautiful man. Yeah. And, and, you would, <laughs> and you would expect it for there yeah. to be he's some got a f- actual information of what I'm talking about. I didn't understand a word he said. A face for radio. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> what, uh, where's this tequila? All right. <laughs> so this woman yeah. approaches Stan. you remember her name? Because I don't right uh, now. You know after, what? Uh, <laughs> eight shots of tequila and six beers. Uh, that's funny. I was going to ask right you. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, she, and she's a rock star. In yeah, well, she she was the wo- the woman who, because the first step he had to do was change the law. Well, listen. Here, here, He tells her, hey. I could train anybody to do this stuff, okay? In spite of what other people are telling you, this is not rocket science. And Stan used to say it all the time. Uh, you got to make sure they're breathing. You got to make sure they don't bleed to death. And you got to make sure they're getting air, okay? And if we cover those three things, we're going to save a lot of lives. That, that was his attitude. And he said, I could teach a chimpanzee to do that stuff. So she shows up and he says to her, listen, I'll train them. I'll do everything we got to do. But I'm not dealing with these idiot politicians. I don't want nothing to do with them. So this woman goes, she's rich. Her husband's wealthy. They live in Inverness. Bro, that is a nice neighborhood out there, okay? Uh, Janet Schweitman. 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 And, and Mrs. Schweitman, she's dead now. She died of Alzheimer's, unfortunately. She, she is one of the unsung heroes in the whole paramedic industry. And she says to Stan, all right, I'll get it done. And Stan is like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Uh, but if you do, I'm ready to go. Well, she fought tooth and nail. Well, let me tell you, she goes to see Governor Ogilvy, right? And Ogilvy goes, no, this sounds like a good idea to me. But he says, you're going to have a problem. And the problem is doctors and uh, nurses, they're not going to like this stuff. You need some political clout. She says, who do I talk to? He says, well, go see this guy in Barrington. He's a smart guy. He's savvy. And he's not up for re-election. You go talk to him. Tell him your idea. Maybe he'll write a law for you. So she goes, okay. nothing to lose politically. She goes and sees him, right? And he goes, you know what? That's a goddamn great idea. I like that. So he says, but we're going to have problems with doctors and nurses. They're not going to like this stuff. And, man, he could not have been more right, right? So – uh, Zidlow's involved in this. She's involved. Zidlow's now talking to community groups and going out, hey, listen, uh, people are dying in the streets like dogs because nobody can help them. Nobody's trained to help them. We want to help them. We want to train them. We want to make, you know, we want to save lives, but your government is preventing this from happening. So it's like the the word of Stan is starting to get out in the communities. And, and this what is, year is this about, Paul? Huh? What year is this? This, this is probably around 71. Okay. Probably around 1970, 70, 71, right? So Zillow's out talking to people. He, he's preaching it. He's saying it's not rocket science. You don't have to be a doctor. We could save lives, folks. I could teach you how to do CPR today, and you could save any heart attack victim. But if you don't get to them in six minutes, they're gone anyways. He said, we need people that could get to them who are professional, who are trained, and, and could get it done. At this time, there's... Like the, Dr. Zillow is basically running nine fire departments and two private ambulances, right? That, that's who is well, involved that's in That's who this. eventually gets involved. So, right. so let's fast forward a little bit. Basically, but the, uh, the, Schweitman the, their gets— first, Their first fight was changing the law. Right. Okay. So Schweitman—and by the way, doctors came to Zidlow when all the rumor of paramedics, EMTs, an EMS system is brewing. The doctors go to Zidlow and go, hey, Stan— don't be messing around with this stuff, okay? We don't like it. It was not well received by oh, other doctors. They hated it. They hated it. The nurses hated it, right? How are you going to get teach these stupid firemen? Now the rumors out. 
he's going to use fire departments and police department personnel to do this stuff. Because right. we had the 911 systems. There already. is no 911 system. You're dialing zero and saying to the operator, uh, I'm at 79th and Harlem. Where am I? And she's telling you, well, that would be the bridge. What tie of the street you on? That's Bridgeview, Burbank, or Chicago, or Summit, right? That's that, how people that, that responded. That was a whole nother hurdle. Was right, right. There's no 911, guys. No 911. There's no paramedics. There's no nothing. So you dial zero and hope for the best. Okay. And generally it was like, uh, anybody there with a car? You need to take them to a hospital. That's how it happened. So What what pushes it low to make this a first responder fire department well, issue? Well, a lack of anybody else willing to do it. So okay. here's what happens. Mount Prospect, uh, small little suburban town right next to Arlington Heights between Wheeling and Arlington Heights on Northwest Highway there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mayor one day is driving by a fatality accident. And he's like watching this guy bleed out in the street. He calls his fire chief, uh, Chief Larry, over there, and he goes, "Hey, you got a guy dying and bleeding." And you, chief's like, "What do you want me to do about it?" We're fire department. We put out fires. He goes, well, Can you send somebody over fire? here? And he goes, "Well, I'll send some guys over." And they they go over there, peel the guy off the street. He's dead, of course. And the mayor's hot. And he's like, "Hey, dude, you know." We don't have a lot of fires out here in Mount Prospect. What else are you doing? He goes, hey, I'd like to do it, but it's against the law. We can't do it. He goes, well, you know what? Uh, go buy yourself in a car or a station wagon so you can haul people around. And, and this, the chief is like, yeah, no problem. And at this point, the chief has had two guys going over to Loyola Hospital who are teaching them. Uh, they're learning how to be like EMTs, for lack of a better word, because there is no EMTs. Right. But, but advanced first, first aid First responders, class. yeah. Advanced first aid. So he, he spends 2600 bucks or something on a station wagon. They put painted fire engine red, put some lights on it, and they start responding to accidents. Well, lo and behold, Zidlow starts talking to the local fire chiefs, and this fire chief is like, hey, come train my guys. My mayor is behind it. We're ready to go. Yeah, they're already doing it. Almost. Well, Zidlow's like, hey, I just don't want you guys. I want everybody doing it. We got to have a system, man. We got to. You know, this thing has got to hum. Right. It's got to work. Get your boys. Get Pick some guys who you want trained. And I'll train them up. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, let me find it in the book. Well, he, he goes Dr. Zidlow would fire only accept fire yeah. personnel and police well, personnel. Well, let me tell you how that happened. So Zidlow's trying to figure out who, who am I going to train? How are these people going to respond? They got to be involved in emergency services of some sort. So the fire department, it, believe me, no fire chief was like, yeah, we want to do the CMS and paramedic and EMT stuff. They're like, hey, we're firefighters, okay? Give me that sissy shit over here about, you know, medical stuff. We don't do medical. We do life-saving stuff. And Zidlow's like, you know what, fellas? You're, not, you're doing less fires now than you've ever done. And guess what? In 20 or 30 years, there aren't going to be any fires. So you better figure out what you're going to be doing. And some of these forward-thinking uh, chiefs, Arlington Heights, Buffalo Grove, Hoffman Estates, Mount Prospect, Morton Grove, Palatine, Rolling Meadows, Schaumburg, Lake Zurich, not the fire department, the police department, okay, and two private ambulance companies, Delta Ambulance and Arlington Ambulance, 11 agencies. They go, they commit to Zidlow, go, yeah, we're in. We think this is a great idea. All all northwest side suburban. All northwest suburban, city of Chicago is nowhere to be seen. Chicago Fire Department, Mayor David, like, whoa. A lot of liability there. We're we, don't not wanna, on board. we don't care about saving no lives in Chicago. We got you know, we fight in fires. That's what we do. And these are all these are all suburbs that are Northwest Suburban. Northwest suburban. And, and listen, nineteen seventy two, a lot of these towns are basically farm towns. They're not even big cities. Now they're Schaumburg. Arlington Heights yeah. biggest suburb in Cook County. Right. Right? Them in Evanston. Yeah, close. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Over hundred and ten thousand. Joliet's in Will County though. Oh right. Right. Um Way to go, Corey. What? Evanston, big though, right? Yes. But, but these get no one wants to do this stuff. They're like, so who shows up, man? So Zidlow is like, okay, listen, I can teach people how to do this. Now it's still illegal. Schweitman is still politic in this thing, right? The nurses and doctor, the American Medical Association, Illinois State Medical Association, American Nurses Association, they hire lobbyists to kill this thing. They don't they, forget it. You, these stupid firemen are never going to be able to save lives. Well, they thought it was going to put their jobs in jeopardy. I don't know what they thought, but it was stupid. And Zidlow is like telling doctors, you're a moron, okay? Let me explain this to you in a language you understand. 
If someone comes into the emergency room and they're dead, you don't get paid for anything. If they come in here and they were able to keep them breathing and I'm able to save their life when they get here finally, you get to treat them for broken bones and concussions and x-rays. In other words, you make a lot of money because we kept this dude alive or do that, right? Mm-hmm. If they're dead, you don't make nothing. The funeral home gets paid. Well, doctors were like, oh, well, you know, it's not about the money. He goes, bullshit. It's always about the money. Right. Zidlow got it. And the nurses were like, we're not, we're not giving up any of our territory, right? But, but at this point, um, Zitlow is still the, what we call the head doc of the emergency room. Well, yeah, Northwest he is. Uh, at this point, he is the chief of emergency room medicine at, at Northwest, Northwest Community, okay. right? So at Northwest Community, you got to love these guys, right? They go, well, doc, great idea. We're supportive, but. We really don't. We're not going to pay you while you teach these guys. Right. They wanted to put them on a leave of absence. They didn't put they, them on they, a leave of absence. They said, you can yeah. go teach paramedics. Yeah, at the firehouse. But you're going to go on a leave of absence. You're not teaching them here. They wouldn't pay them. Right. And in Zidlow, right, he's like, now he's got new babies, new yeah. kids, right? Got another family. Got nine kids all together, child support, alimony, right? Zidlow's like, dude, are you kidding me? I got to make money here. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do it on my own time, but I'm going to make some dough. I like, hey, Doc, I'd like to help you, but, you know, sorry. Sidlow does it. Starts with 217 firemen and a couple cops and some private ambulance guys. Uh, $25 fee. The, the, the school, that, that's to learn everything, fellas. 25 bucks, okay? Would that cost us, Corey? Oh, God. Uh, right, like right now, the cost of paramedic school is right around five grand. And it was 234 hours yeah. back then. 234. 234. And, the and it sole, cost you $25. The sole licensing authority in the world was Dr. Stanley M. Zidlow Jr. He decided whether you passed and whether you got a license. And he was the licensing authority and the final authority on everything paramedic. There was no state agencies. There were no laws. He was the man. And throughout if he, the state, throughout the... Throughout the country. country. That's it. Right. We were the there only was, ones. This was the only game in, in the yes. country. Right. Now, let's dispel the fairy tales, okay? There are a lot of... A few cities, Cincinnati... Seattle. Pittsburgh, Seattle, Los Angeles. They were kicking around this whole paramedic thing. Mm-hmm. But nothing organized. No central EMS system. No multiple jurisdiction. Multiple cities reporting the same thing. No doctor at the top, no standardized training, like nothing like that. Shit. It was like in Cincinnati, they, they were send, isolated incidents. They would send hard surgeons out with an ambulance on heart attack calls. Only. Yeah. Okay. So, if it's a heart case, we go. If it's not a heart case, bring yeah. them in. Right. Well, so Zidlow is like, and we're going to deal with everything and we're going to deal with it right here. That's how it's going to work. Right. And he takes these firemen who were largely, largely veterans, uh, lunatics, lucky to have a high school diploma, never mind college. They were all men. All men. They were all men. No chicks in this game, fella. There were no women firemen. 90% of them were all veterans. Yes. Yeah. And Veterans of Vietnam? Military. Right. But but a lot of Vietnam veterans, right? This is early 70s, 60s were hot. We quit sending guys to Vietnam in 74. Okay. Um, Oh, so a lot of guys are Korean, Vietnam veterans, okay. right? And they're firemen. And they're like, man, I want to do this sissy medical stuff, man. Are you kidding me? But he takes guys, man, I mean, who had no interest, basically zero interest in doing this job and trains them up. That's what the genius of Stan Zidlow. That's amazing. Yeah. He takes these guys and goes, it's my way to highway, girls. If you don't like it, hit the door. You don't have to be here. So they start with 217. He graduates 107 as paramedics eventually. Yeah, and that, uh, those are the guys that hits the street. On what date, Vince? You read the book, actually. Um, I did. Um, December 2nd, 1972. December 2nd, yeah. Which is what? The anniversary of Our Lady. Of Our Lady. Of Our Lady tragedy. Well, 186 took the test and 107 passed. Yeah. Um, that and that 107 now represented all of the paramedics across the country at this. That's point. it. That's the only game in right. town, guys. 107 but, Northwest suburbs of Chicago. But here, here's where like some people argue with who 
was the first. Because in 1970, the Wedsworth Townsend Act now allowed paramedics to work on patients pre-hospital. Right. Where at? What do you mean? What state? Uh, oh. You didn't read the book hard enough, did you? I, I think California, actually. Okay, Was it California? Yeah. Well, but they just, from what I read, that just enacted the act but there was no medical system there was no, around. They just said, okay, yeah. Right. You so want, just the litigation around. It was yeah. just the act not, to, to allow them, but nothing had been put in place no up protocol, until this point. There no was nothing. Right. No, no uh, system. Curriculum. There was right. pre-hospital stuff, but no EMS system. Right. And that's what Dr. Zidlow kind of created was EMS proper. Like there was a doctor on the top. They trained to his level. This is the protocols and so on and so forth. There was nothing like that until Dr. Zidlow put that in place. And one of the stories in the book that really got the attention of these 186 guys that sat down to take this paramedic test was the first day that they showed up for paramedic school. He hangs an IV bag, hooks it up, grabs a needle, pokes himself in the hand and says, tomorrow, guess what you're all doing? You're all starting IVs on each other. And they're all like... Is this guy fucking nuts? That's right. They go like, F you, man. And he said, and if you don't want to do it. Right. Hit the road. Let your ass hit that front door. Hit the road. And he's like, if you don't want to be standing in a pool of blood with your elbows up in guts, you can leave too. And he kind of just put it, this was one of the, it's my way or the highway type (laughs) attitudes that is prevalent throughout this book. Yeah. And, And today, what's one of the first big things when you're in paramedic school that you do? You sit around and you stick each other with IVs. Well, and it's funny because he said in the book that he stu- he stuck himself in the hand, and then he said, "You're all gonna s- start IVs in each other's hand," which is ironic because that's exactly what I did. I mean, we you went to Malcolm too, right? Yes. And so th- when we sat down, like we weren't doing um, ACs on each other; we were doing hands. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought back, and I'm like, "God damn, that's where that came from," you know. And without knowing it, that's where that came from. So the statistics in the book is that, so we started with the first class of 107 paramedics. And in 2012, there were 14,000 registered paramedics. And there's, and um, I think you estimated there was going to be another 55,000. That, that, that's the national statistics, right? Yeah. And, so, and, and we know paramedics way, way advanced beyond EMT. There's hundreds of thousands of EMTs, eight-week course, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, at most basic military courses are eight weeks for medics and stuff. And and and, and add the med- you know, combat medics was doing this stuff since the Civil War. Right. Well, they were pushing right? stuff like albumin. Yeah. To yeah. you know for, for uh, casualties. Well, they they were doing amputations, field yeah. amputations. I mean, a combat medic could do pretty much everything, but they would come home and there was no profession or occupation for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, there's, they become there's a no nurse or go to that. medical school. Right. That, right. that what, was their uh, What could you do again, with that were, skill set in the right. private sector? Nothing. Nothing. Right. No, yeah. there was no private sector. Yeah. There, yeah. there was in a public sector. They would sector take their either. skills right. and they would start from the bottom just like any right. other 18 yeah. year old kid that was going to school. <laughs> like, yeah. man. Dude. Thanks for serving your country. Right. Uh, here's how yeah. you drive a forklift. I've been yeah. saving lives for, you know, 13 months in the jungles of Vietnam. Guys with limbs blown off, you know, no throat. I had to figure out how to get them to breathe. And these guys had nowhere to go. That that they were done, cooked. Well, you, you brought that up too. And so, well, we'll save that for later. But so Ted Loesch was one of the yeah. uh, Zidlow paramedics. Yeah, Lo- and, right. and you you talk about that some of these fire chiefs really gave a lot of resistance yeah. to EMS. And when Ted Loesch saved Chief Fogarty. Yeah. Well, uh, well, well the, Rolling Meadows is a great example. He, he said right? that... He did not want his these paramedics to do CPR because he didn't want to break the ribs of his citizens. I was worse. He didn't want them to see their citizens, fem, their female citizens, bras. Okay. By the way, you know, back in '72, them bras weren't that hot, anyways. <laughs> but that that, so the, the that, that was, was the probably, concern, and, right? Oh yeah, and yeah. For Doctor Zidlow, he's oh, like, "Are you kidding me? This right. is the matter of life well, and death." With your Rolling Meadows is a great point to talk about because. The, the chief out there, the fire chief, was totally uninterested in participating. Right. Uh, for you who's unfamiliar with Chicago geography, Rolling Meadows next to Arlington Heights, so it's right yeah. in that jurisdiction there. Small town right across the street from the racetrack. 
Yep. And uh, the courthouse there. But uh, uh, the chief then was like, man, I don't know. Firemen don't be, need to be doing this stuff, right? And Ted Loesch, who's the town barber, becomes a part-time fireman, and he's in the first paramedic class. Uh, Zidlow's talking to the, the uh, trustees in Rolling Meadows, the mayor, and goes, listen, you know, only Zidlow way. You want us to say people, your granny who has a heart attack, your mom who flops over at the kitchen table at Thanksgiving? We can do it. I don't care if I see their bra. I see a million sets of tits every day, okay? I don't care about their bras. Neither will a fireman. They're not going to care either. They're out there to save lives. And the city council overruled the mayor and the fire chief. They're like, hey, this is a great idea, right? So that's why Rolling Meadow gets involved. And Loesch, who is the barber, becomes a fireman, becomes one of the first paramedics, is the chief a year later. Winds up being the chief. He was a forward-thinking, smart guy. I wanted about being a chief for like 30 years out there in Loesch. Well, you, you wrote about the, the little controversy when, so Chief Fogarty at the time has a heart attack. Yeah, has a heart they attack about nine him. months into the program. Right. right, they save him. Bad heart attack. Yeah. Like he's down, man. He's right. He takes a, a bad one and he goes down. And he's saved by the and, paramedics. And and the newly trained Zidlow paramedics, three of them, Loesch, one of them, show up and save his ass. And he's he's never the same after that, man. He's in bad shape, right? Yeah. And, but they save his life. And now he's a true believer. Right. Whoa, well, whoa he, I like this paramedic thing all of a sudden. You, you kind of yeah. alluded to the fact that he said, oh, I was on board with this from the beginning. <laughs> Which was. After he was saved. Total horse crap. Yeah. Okay. He got on board after they saved his ass. And it, he was one of the early saves in the program. And wow. and, and that's just uh, the the work that these initial paramedics did, man. I, I can't express this enough, right? Because the only support they got is their chiefs limited. They're not even sure. Their city governments and mayors, town president, whatever. They sort of think it might be a good idea. Uh, of course, everybody's worried about getting sued, right? Yeah. And the only true believer stands at law. Yeah. Who's sitting there at Northwest Community Hospital running the whole show, like, for lack of a better word, as my way or the highway. You're gone, done. If I don't like you, you're not doing this job. Thanks for listening, everybody. This concludes the podcast for this week. Part one of Paul Cialino's podcast about his book, Dead in Six Minutes. Next week, we'll finish up the podcast, talk about the end of the book, the history of the paramedic program in the state of Illinois, and... We're going to talk about Paul's career for a bit. Thanks. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can download this episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and TuneIn. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, if you're a first responder or you know a first responder that has a story to tell, we'd love to hear it. Please reach out to us at Chicago's Bravest Stories on Facebook or Instagram. We'd also like to thank the Missing Chums for their musical contribution to the podcast with the song, Yes, You May. Hey, everybody, it's Steve here. I'd like to talk to you about another awesome company that helps bring the podcast to you free of charge, Chicagoland CPR. It's a first responder-owned and operated CPR company. As a first responder myself, I can't express to you enough how important CPR training is for everybody in the community. They offer real, customizable, world-class education for all their clients. They have a combined 30-plus years of field experience as fire service and EMS educators throughout the Chicagoland area. Chicagoland CPR is extremely focused on providing real-world, no-fluff education, and the main focus is on organization, an engaged classroom, working with students to completely understand the material, getting your uh, certificates out on time, and most importantly, coming to your facility. They offer a wide variety of American Heart Association classes, CPR, first aid, AED, ACLS, PALS, and a full complement of StarGuard Elite, LifeGuard, and Aquatic Safety classes. Our clients include nursing homes, hospitals, long-term care facilities, fire departments, schools, park districts, coaching staff, and many other groups throughout the communities. If you're interested in hosting a class at your facility for your employees, or you have any questions about services and pricing, contact Chicagoland CPR. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the World Wide Web. I can't express to you, again, how important CPR and first aid training is. They want to hear from you soon. Give them a call. Find them. Let's set you up a class to help save some lives. Also sponsored by Chicagoland Event Medical Services, we are a first responder, owned and operated first aid and emergency medical service provider. 
Our mission is to protect the lives and well-being of event patrons all over the state of Illinois by providing professional and experienced career EMS practitioners in an event setting. Our services are completely customizable to the needs of our customers. Our business was born out of a necessity to provide competent health care providers to both large and small events. We do this by bringing firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, nurses, lifeguards, first aid tents. We also customize your own site safety and emergency response plan, and that information will always be available to your staff. We pride ourselves on providing the best patient care possible to your events.